The Daily Tap is live for Tuesday. We are talking about Badger football and why change is needed. Adapt or die and the Badgers are headed towards a slow death at this point. But it can be fixed. So we'll talk about that. We'll also talk about the Packers overreactions being actually calm. Actually not overreacting nationally. I will also mention Matt LaFleur's comments trying to bail out his buddy Joe Barry. We'll go over that and much more in that segment. And then lastly, we will talk about the nightmare that is a long Cardinals postseason runs. There's a lot of MI the asshole in that conversation. I also want to touch on Burns' comments and why certain parts of the team make you want to fight, make you want to hope that this team gets to the playoffs, finds a way in, and there's other parts that just bum you the fuck out. So we'll talk about that at the tail end of today's show. I was going to do like a tap list of corniest NFL players. I might rant about Russell Wilson at the end, which is a little bit more off the cuff because I want to make sure that I'm not just giving you guys sports stuff. I think you guys hear enough sports things, you hear enough sports talk. So I want to make sure there's a bit of balance there. And if you don't think there's enough of that sort of kickback, let me know. Um, you can always hit me up on social. Good time to remind you of that. Tapping the keg on Twitter, tapping the keg sports on Instagram and TikTok. Uh, make sure that you are subscribing. If you're new, if you are hitting me up about the Zadarius Smith stuff on TikTok and you decide to give our podcast a chance, or on Apple or on Spotify, make sure that you're also going to leave a rating and a review. Uh, Apple back up and running after I was so doom and gloom about it yesterday. Uh, it appeared, so I think we're all good there from a SoundCloud perspective, fingers crossed. I thought we were good last week and then we didn't have a podcast. So I I am, tr- I am have trepidation here, but I will uh, proceed cautiously. Let's talk about the Wisconsin Badgers and where they sit right now. The Wisconsin Badgers went into the game this weekend, or last weekend, excuse me, against... Let's add a good open, actually. If you listen to the national media talk about Wisconsin and talk about Madison and going there for game day, they're always fans of it. Whether it's Scott Van Pelt, who is a commencement speecher. Ryan Rossillo has spoken very highly of it. Dave Portnoy recently spoke in platitudes about Madison. Big Cat, obviously part of my take, a Madison alum, you don't, that's kind of self-explanatory. They all love it. Everybody loves Madison. Nobody has a bad thing to say about going to a game at Camp Randall and the environment around it on State Street. There is a lot of a retro feel to what you have with Madison. So we hear a lot from the national media members that it, it feels retro. It feels like a throwback when you go back there. And watching this team, it has a similar retro feel. The Badgers have tried to win with Smash Mouth football for a long time. And they've succeeded. They've won multiple Rose Bowls. They've gotten to other Rose Bowls. They've won Big Ten West championships, but not necessarily finished the deal. Because they were not at the level of Ohio State. Or other teams like Penn State, uh, not Michigan State, but others that have beat the Badgers recently. While the Badgers are maybe a tier below, they always were kind of in spitting distance. But now it seems like there is a canyon that is being built over Ohio State and Michigan, maybe even Penn State. I'm not ready to go there. And an emerging Michigan State who keeps getting better with their coach Mel Tucker. The Badgers need to start fixing things sooner rather than later, or they are going to be a six or seven win, happy to get into the Pinstripe Bowl or the fucking Vegas Bowl or something of of that ilk. 
Because right now, the Wisconsin Badgers do not look like a team that can compete for any sort of playoff. Whether that playoff was 12, whether that was 24, it wouldn't matter. The Wisconsin Badgers are not that team right now, and they haven't been for a couple of years. Really, since the pandemic, we have seen a different Badgers team, and it's hard to really put your finger on it, right? Is it the players that they have recruited? It's kind of interesting when you look at recruiting rankings and you look at some of the guys they've brought in, they shouldn't be having these problems, right? They shouldn't be having the problems that that are going on. Like These are talented guys, right? Braylon Allen is a goddamn preseason All-American this year. There's no reason why the Badgers shouldn't be steamrolling a team like Washington State, but they are. And, or they're losing to those teams, excuse me. And why is that? Well, the transfer portal has played a large role in the fact that teams are, there's a more of a competitive balance. I think we're seeing that on full display. I think the transfer portal is annoying and I think it's over the top and I think there are ways to regulate it. But what the transfer portal has done is it's made everybody get a little bit tighter. And that's why I think we've seen a lot of the unpredictable uh, unpredictability in college football the last two weeks. Now the Badgers dipped their toe in the transfer portal, but they didn't go all in like an old Miss, got multiple guys and basically rebuilt their team through other talented players on other rosters. They did that. Other guys, other teams have also done similar. Washington State needed to rebuild their roster through the transfer portal because so many people left when Nick Rolovich got fired for not getting vaccinated. So it has to be something that Wisconsin takes more of an effort on. I understand that there is a loyalty. I understand that there is a Midwest nice to things. But the Wisconsin Badgers need to say, fuck that and get the best players available. You have an offensive lineman that is run first that entered as a transfer portal that's a five-star or a four-star from Florida or Georgia or Louisiana or Texas or California, fuck. You got to recruit those guys. Who cares about the young guys you have? You have to look at how do you make this team better and how do you do it? And sell them on the idea of Wisconsin. Sell them on the idea of Russell Wilson coming here his final year and nearly delivering a not only a Rose Bowl win, but potentially a national championship win if those two Hail Marys don't go the wrong way for Wisconsin. So I think Wisconsin needs change. Now, does that mean that you're getting rid of Paul Chris? I don't think so, as long as Paul Chris can get on board. But I think for the first time in a very, very long time, people are concerned with where the Badgers are. We're seeing this across the country with similar Smash Mouth teams. So I feel like there is a lot of a trend, if you will, of what's going on here. You have Iowa, who's going through similar shit, just lost to their in-state rivals who they hate for the first time in six years. And there's a nepotism thing there that rivals succession. It's like the Iowa Hawkeyes have Kendall Roy calling plays while Logan Roy coach is basically just doesn't care and blames other people. And an Iowa guy who entered the transfer portal went to Purdue and Charlie Jones, who's probably the next great Iowa tight end who would have fallen into the lines of TJ Hawkinson and George Kittle and Noah Fant. Now I realize Noah Fant hasn't had the NFL career that he's wanted, but Noah Fant was a first round pick. You, it, 
Iowa had a little bit of tight tight end you going. Charlie Jones went to where he could catch more passes, and he's been thriving. Iowa refused to adapt. Iowa refused to make Charlie Jones a focus. And so because of that, he went to a place where he knew he was going to catch passes, and he knew he was going to elevate his NFL status. The Badgers haven't had a ton of that. Jalen Berger, probably the best example. But the Badgers were pretty good at the running back position with Chesma Lucy as the backup, and then Braylon Allen, who again, as mentioned, is a preseason All-American. Now, a guy like Chimray DK hasn't left, but maybe DK gets some other ideas. Now, he's a Waukesha product. He's probably going to be a Badger for his entire life. But DK might look at it and say, I can't catch passes like I could with a Purdue, like I could in one of the Big 12 schools, maybe a Texas Tech, maybe I need a change of pace, right? That could be on the table. And I think you can still kind of do what you want from a run-first perspective. You just have to innovate it a little bit more. Look at some of the stuff that Coastal Carolina is doing with Jamie Chadwell. He's running basically an eye option. It's not. It's a little more on the Army Air Force side of things, but it's something that's working for Coastal Carolina. Could it work in the Big Ten? I'm not sure. Maybe people are too fast and it wouldn't, but you could at least concept, take some stuff from different people. And that I think is where it's frustrating. And we'll mention some other things they could do. Why don't the Badgers apply anything that Kyle Shanahan, Matt LaFleur, Sean McVay are running? They do a lot of run first shit. They do a lot of zone read. Where is that for the Badgers? The Badgers lack no creativity. And I think that's where people are wearing thin. But this is across the board with other Smash Mouth schools. As mentioned, Iowa, Stanford, Northwestern. You're not necessarily seeing that continued success that you once did. And some of it, I think, is the NIL. But some of it is that they are too stuck in their ways. They're too stuck in what the past was. And they need to get themselves uncomfortable. And if that means getting... Lineman, lineman transfer portal guys that are four or five star formerly and bringing them into Wisconsin and convincing them that Wisconsin is where you want to go. You are in the Big Ten. You are a big power player. Wisconsin cannot use the excuse that they are little old Wisconsin. All right. I don't I don't think that holds any water when you got an eight million, eight billion, not million, eight billion dollar TV deal and you are one of the big two with the SEC, you should have every ability to contend with the big boys. And even if you're not at Ohio State and Michigan's level, you can still get back into spitting range. So now does that mean that Paul Chris has to go? I don't think so if he's on board, as mentioned. Uh, I think if Paul Chris can kind of get back into it and say, all right, I am feeling good. I am re-engaged. I'm going to try some different things. Maybe there's there's hope after all. But who knows? Maybe Chris is worn out. Maybe this has kind of just burned him out as Badger football coach. Paul Chris very much is a keep within yourself kind of guy. He's not PJ Flack where he's a showman at every fucking corner. And at some point that could wear you down. And maybe that's part of this. Maybe Paul Christ is kind of mailing it in at this point. You have Jim Leonard, who is extremely talented, who's ready and waiting in the wings, who I would feel very confident in as the head coach. 
because it's weird, but like Dave Aranda has done such a good job at Baylor, right? I know they didn't win against BYU, but Dave Aranda turned around that Baylor program that was in the gutter and made it into back to where it was with Matt Rule. And I think Jim Leonard can do something similar. Kind of a similar thought on Aranda. If I was LSU, I would have hired Aranda. I realize Aranda wouldn't have been the sexy hire, but Aranda to me would have got LSU back to a national championship. I don't know if Brian Kelly will do that. And then you look at Lance Leopold, who's a whitewater guy. He's formerly Nebraska. So coincidentally enough, he's getting mentioned for the Nebraska job. If a guy who was so successful in your home state at the D3 level is getting mentioned for the Nebraska job, if Paul Chris were to step down, Lance Leopold should get mentioned. It's also a fantastic PR opportunity for the Badgers because it's basically Bo Ryan, right? And then maybe that's too much pressure for Lance Leopold. And maybe he looks at that and says, I don't want to be coined football's Bo Ryan, but that would basically be what it is, right? It would be the exact same shit. Now, Bo didn't really have any sort of D1 experience, but well, he was at UWM, excuse me. He just had minor uh, D1 experience, not where Leopold was, where he's been at Buffalo, and now he's been at Kansas. It's a little different, I think, in college football, too, with like 131 teams. But yes, you could have probably Leopold or Leonard is really, really solid. That That's a great step forward. And then you hire someone offensively who works with what you have with Braylon Allen, with maybe another year Graham Mertz, with a you know the wide receivers, the offensive line, that, that it's a little bit brand new. I think Paul Chris still can change. Like I, I do believe that coaches can sometimes get out of their own heads and realize that they need to adapt because they know their job could be on the line. Now, again, I don't think the Badgers would ever fire Paul Christ. I think he would graciously exit and he would resign and step down. And I think that the Ohio State game is a huge barometer for this program. To me, that is a defining moment for the Wisconsin Badgers. Because the Wisconsin Badgers lose that game, assuming they'll beat New Mexico State, which I know I realize you're like, well, they just lost Washington. New Mexico State's terrible, okay? 37-point favorites for the Badgers, like, it would be a colossal, a, a colossal upset if the Wisconsin lost the game. So it'll be 2-1 heading into that game against Ohio State. It'll be in the horseshoe. I believe it's leaning towards that's going to be a Saturday night game under the lights. I don't know if you know this, but Ohio State is kind of the new Notre Dame when it comes to getting ratings. So when they can put Ohio State on in primetime, they're going to do it. The Buckeyes bring the ratings, and it's been kind of a crazy run for them. Badgers are going to need to show up. They're going to need to kind of do similar things that Notre Dame did, but take it a step further and have a little more offense and try to win this game and try to stun the world. And as mentioned, we've seen multiple examples of this already, whether it was the Badgers against Washington State, whether it was Alabama probably losing to Texas if Quinn Euros is playing. Like, let's just be real about that. Texas A&M falling to Appalachian State. Who's going to be next, right? It feels like everybody is waiting in the wings. Could it be UCLA against South Alabama, who's been really impressive the first two weeks of the season? It's possible, right? It's, a, it's possible another Sunbelt team could get going. I wish I was a little more loud about the Sunbelt. I I actually love the Sunbelt. Like, it's kind of a confession, I guess, of mine. Like, I think Sunbelt plays a really good brand of football. And 
but not to deter here, but yes, there are going to be opportunities. I don't think the Badgers can look at what Ohio State has done so far and be like, oh yeah, we can't compete with that. Yes, that'll be the first real test for that secondary, which people are critical of, and I, I understand that. But if you control the ball and you play Badger football and you are a little more creative, like I just for the life of me cannot understand why there was not more play action. Again, taking concepts, whether it's West Coast, whether it's, you know, again, McVeigh, LaFleur, all this sort of motion, like where is that? That to me is missing. And so maybe we'll see it against Ohio State, but that will be the first big checkpoint for Wisconsin. Now, if they lose the game, it's fine. It's similar to Texas, right? Sarkeesian mentioned moral victory, which I know was not probably what Texas fans wanted to hear, but I would feel the same way about the Badgers if they were to lose to Ohio State, I don't know, 20 to 17, let's just throw out a score. If they they lose 20 to 17 and Ohio State escapes, I don't think anyone's coming away with that on Sunday pissed. You just can't be. You, you really can't. If the Badgers get embarrassed and Ohio State, let's just say, hangs 45 on them, the Badgers continue to look sloppy. Mertz reverts back to his old self against good teams. And the Badgers lose something like 45-14. Then the seat's going to get warmer and more questions are going to be asked. And maybe that canyon now looks like your state's apart. Like it looks like we're in New Mexico while they're in Arizona. The Badgers have a lot of change that needs to happen on the fly. It starts with getting more creative. It starts with doing more things with your offense and trying to complement that already sound really good defense. When you give up 17 points, you probably should win a football game. Simple as that. And that didn't happen for Wisconsin. And there have been multiple moments in the last few years where the Badgers have tripped on their dick. They need to come together and maybe this is rock bottom and everything turns around. Or maybe we haven't seen rock bottom just yet and the change will come a lot quicker than we think. Moving on to the Green Bay Packers. It was overreaction Monday. I didn't think the overreactions were that bad, honestly. I thought that I expected a lot more out of people. Um, Everybody was like, Okay, slow offense, yeah, Aaron Rodgers, maybe some disconnects there. And that was probably the biggest quote-unquote overreaction. But it, the offense did look slow, right? We had offensive struggles. It was not something that you could sugarcoat. I think for people to think that this offense can't be a top 10 offense by the end of the year is ridiculous. I think the Green Bay Packers had a bad game plan for Minnesota. And it was disjointed. And it wasn't put together. And yet again... Yeah, I hate that I harp on the lack of preseason, but we saw it in Denver tonight, right? Russell Wilson looked all out of sorts around the goal line, and they really struggled, you know, in a variety of situations against the Seahawks team that I thought would beat Denver. I felt really good about the Seahawks tonight. It was probably the only good bets I made today, but I did think that Seattle was going to come through for that, and it just looked similar. Just like the Rams, just like the Bengals, a lot of McVay guys. The only McVay guy that survived Week One was was San Diego or Los Angeles, excuse me. Uh, they were able to win, and that was it. Other than that, they all lost Week One. Now San Francisco was a bit of a Mickey Mouse loss, but still, 
So maybe you do need more of that preseason. I know we harped on that a lot yesterday, so I don't need to go back to it. But I was surprised to not hear a lot of that. Like I, I they were like, "Oh, the offense is slow," and that was kind of it, right? It's like, "Oh, they're going to repeat. They are without Devonte Adams," which we already went on that rant yesterday. Like I felt like the reactions were kind of like stuck in the mud. There wasn't really that second level where it's like made me think about how the Packers are going to approach this. I think people are still in that unknown and they're just recycling bits that they've been doing all summer. And it really, nothing really changed, right? It's kind of like the lines this week. A lot of gambling, sorry, I apologize. Sometimes I'll overdo it with that. But it's like a lot of the lines are reflective of the win totals, as Cousin Sal mentioned on Bill Simmons' show, where it's like we're not necessarily looking at anything that happened last week. So people are sticking with their same takes about they don't have Devontae Adams, they don't have a true number one, all this other shit. And I really think where it comes down to is it's like, all right, you just have a little bit of a better relationship with Watson and Dobbs, with Aaron Rodgers. And I hope that Rodgers and I hope those guys are working on that relationship and trying to foster it and make Rodgers feel more comfortable with those guys. But also Rodgers has to let Matt LaFleur's offense work the way it's supposed to. You saw Jordan Love come in. He was finding Josiah DeGuerra. Why is Aaron Rodgers just completely went away from Josiah DeGuerra? What's that about, right? Tyler Davis is out there a lot more, yet it seems like Josiah DeGuerra is probably the better option. That's an Aaron Rodgers thing. But why, and Tyler Davis can't block worth a fucking damn. So what are we doing here? And I just think the Packers have a little bit, like they're just not fully there yet. And I, and I do think it's gonna take a couple weeks before I deem them there. Like, I, I don't think it's all of a sudden going to fix against the Bears. I think it helps to play a team like Chicago and not playing Tampa Bay next week. But I, I do think you need a little bit more, like, you just need to be smarter and not necessarily stuck in your ways. Like, the Lafleur comments about, well, if played man-to-man, we'd have to change your whole defense, or the stone defense, all this other shit, kind of boot and holes or ask almost. And it was bullshit because they do do that stuff. They do kind of switch it up. They had a bad game plan for Minnesota. Joe Barry basically went with something pretty similar to last year and not much changed. And they were trying to protect Quay Walker out out in the space. And they didn't want to make sure that Minnesota picked on him. And they weren't ready for all the motion that Kevin O'Connell brought. And it's it's kind of mind-numbing when you think about it because... They have done really well against the Rams and they've played really well against the Rams. So what's different? Maybe Kevin O'Connell's a little more of an advanced play caller and we didn't necessarily see it in LA because Sean McVay is pulling most of those strings. That's a very strong possibility and the Packers need to adjust to that next time around and we'll see what they do. I also didn't like the idea that Jake Hansen got the right guard because he had a good training camp. It's not a fucking popularity contest. Now, Matt LaFleur said, well, at this time, which I don't think Jake Hansen's going to be out there again. Jake Hansen was god-awful. He did not play well in that, and that rubbed me the wrong way. I'm trying to think of other things. I mean, the Aaron Jones stuff, they've talked about it, and they've lamented about it. But to me, that should have been the overreaction. Is like, if the Packers are serious, they have to have Aaron Jones touch the ball 10 to 20 times. There's no way that Aaron Jones can't touch the ball at least 10 times on the ground. And the other part, which is more intricate, more like local, is like, why didn't you just attack Sedarius Smith's left side the entire game? Like, why wasn't that the plan? It was the plan for one 
serious, and that was it. But yeah, I I think that the overreactions were all right. Stephen A had one that was like uh, MVS would have caught that ball that Christian Watson dropped. Look, MVS dropped a ton of deep balls. That Colts game is one that's is seared in my brain. I think that was what twenty was that twenty twenty that was twenty twenty where we were in Indianapolis back and forth, just an absolute shootout between the two teams. And MVS had some significant drops in that football game. So I don't want to hear that from Stephen A. That's just untrue. I also really hope that if the weather permits it uh, on set on Sunday, they go right back to it. Maybe not play one, but like play four. They are like, all right, Christian, we're going to send you deep again. We're going to see how you do. And, and I hope that Watson comes down with it. We'll have, obviously, much more on the Green Bay Packers as the week rolls on. Uh, we'll talk Bears-Packers storylines tomorrow. I can tell you that will be probably the lead topic unless something different. And Mitch and I will talk a lot about Bears-Packers on Tabby the Kike. We actually have sort of a concept and idea for that, so excited to debut. And let's move on to the Cardinals and Brewers series. So Cardinals and Brewers here. Cardinals and Brewers get ready to play two of their last four matchups of the season. Uh, two in St. Louis. It's a quick road trip for the Milwaukee Brewers. They did have the day off tomorrow. If the Brewers were to win both games, the Brewers would get down to six games back and be at least in creeping distance. If the Brewers lose one of these games, it's probably over. This is their last chance at the NL Central. I mentioned that yesterday. The Cardinals are going to be in the postseason no matter what. And it really gives me the hives that the Cardinals could be on the verge of something special. This is the last year of Adam Wainwright, probably. This is definitely the last year of Yadier Molina and the last year of Albert Pujols. Albert Pujols is trying to hit 700 home runs. He is three away with a few weeks left to go. Albert's done well against the Brewers, so I'll imagine that he'll get 698, maybe even 699 this week. St. Louis Cardinals could have a magical year, a year that you talk about where you're almost the team of destiny. It all lines up. All of these old guys, one more shot, one more chance at World Series glory, which they've captured multiple years to all of our annoyances. They could do it one more time with their new coach, Ali Marmo. But it's something that scares the living shit out of me as a Brewers fan. I cannot do a full October of talking about what a great story this is because the national media will eat this up. They will be like a fat kid at a barbecue place and will just eat up all the brisket. Like that is there on a platter to talk about how great it is about these old Cardinals making one more shot. It's just, it's nauseating. Forgetting also too that like Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado who might be one, two in MVP are on your roster, right? And I I recognize that they have a good team. Like I, I don't, I think their pitching staff is kind of subpar or average, or as the kids say, mid. Uh, but like, I, I that that offense is so good, and they can play with any anybody really in baseball. So the Cardinals have this opportunity to make a run to the postseason and stun the likes of the Mets, the Braves, the Dodgers who I think everybody think is a tier above, I think the Cardinals are very dangerous. And because they're very dangerous, that scares me as a fan, as a fan of the other team. I'm an asshole about this, but I could give one shit about Albert Pujols breaking, getting to 700. Albert Pujols is a decent guy, but 
He's hurt the Brewers a lot. I don't really cheer for Albert Pujols. I can't. I'm sorry. All right? I realize that I'm one of the few who probably can't cheer for Albert Pujols, but he's a rival. All right? I respect what Albert Pujols has done in his career, but I am not an Albert Pujols guy. I don't want to see Albert Pujols hit home runs against the Brewers. I don't want to see Albert Pujols really even in the batter's box, honestly. Like, he just kind of scares the shit out of me at this point. And I kind of thought I was done with Albert Pujols when he signed his big deal with the Angels. I was like, all right, great. Finally done with Albert Pujols. This is awesome. Now Cardinals get other guys. They got Paul Goldschmidt. It's like, okay, here's another Goldschmidt. Here's another Pujols. And then they add fucking Pujols back. The Cardinals have tormented my life for a long fucking time. All right? Really since 2011 and on. And a little bit before that. Cardinals devil magic is a real thing. And I, I am so scared that the Brewer, the Brewers not will A, fall accustomed to it, but B, that we as Brewer fans will not only miss the postseason, we'll have to watch the Cardinals find a way to make themselves relevant in October. Because you know they're going to do it. You know there is no way they're going to lose to the Padres or Phillies in round one. They'll get there, and then they'll play the Mets, likely, maybe the Braves. And I, get, I will not be surprised during the NLCS. I really won't. And I'll be on bated breath the entire time because I do think whoever comes out of the NL is winning the World Series. And for my own personal health, my own personal well-being, I cannot have that be the Cardinals. Other things to note about the Brewers before we bounce out of here. So there's an interesting thing with Adam McCalvey who continues to do great job boots on the ground stuff. It's really interesting, by the way, this is a side tangent before I talk about the Burns comments. Adam McCalvey never, I mean, he's been really good. Like, I really respect Adam. I think Adam does a great job. I'm not trying to diss what Adam does. But it seems like Adam has really dug in with the, this Brewers team. And it seems like either he's trying to put the pieces together of a larger story, which I said to you last week, I'm waiting for the Jeff Passan, uh, Robert Murray, John Heyman piece, Rosenthal, about like, the dysfunctional Brewers clubhouse. I, I think it's there. And I think that's why McCalvey continues to sniff stuff out. And today it was Corbin Burns who's celebrating his anniversary of his no-hitter. And there's been no talk about extension. Burns is like, well, you would expect that. You expect that there'd at least be some sort of conversation. And there's been none. Forgetting, too, that there was a lockout. And it just makes me wonder if the Brewers pitching staff is full of me, guys. I don't really think the Brewers pitchers are about the team. I think they're about themselves, and that's it. I look at these guys, and I just see a lot of crying. Eric Lauer cried a couple weeks ago about the hater stuff. Now you have Corbin Burns crying. You had Devin Williams pouting after the hater trade. Like, are you? Are we sure these guys are, are actually, like, fun players to root, root for? Like, it's very much like this privileged approach of that everything should be given to you. And are they rebelling because Hayter got traded? Even though that looks like a great deal, and maybe Robert Gasser, a guy in the trade, could be pitching for the Brewers next season? Like, I just, I don't know, right? Like, I don't know what's the disconnect there, but I think that we can safe, maybe not safely say, but we can at least say that Maybe the issues in the clubhouse are not from the the guys who are hitting the baseballs, but coming from the pitchers. So whether that's issues with Chris Hook, whether that's issues with Craig Council, whether that's issues with Hook and Council, 
or Stearns or Ananasio, it does seem like the Brewers have some work to do in that pitching staff to get it to not necessarily yes-men, but getting guys that are about the team and not themselves. And it might be Corbin Burns causing that problem. And if you can get a ransom for Corbin Burns, go and fucking do it. All right? If you really believe that you're not going to sign him and his value will never be higher, fuck it. Just send him off. And if Eric Lauer is not going to get on board with the team, then Lauer can go too. This Brewers team is as dysfunctional as I can remember one in the Stearns and Nacio era. And what's even harder about it is not everybody is a bad apple. Not everybody is doing this type of shit. I don't know if you saw it, but Roddy Telez visited with a small child who had lost his mom to lung cancer. They were on the field. Roddy talked to him. Roddy mentioned that he also lost his mom. Uh, I I apologize. I should have had it on me. But he lost it right before the his major league debut, like two days before he had made his major league debut. The kid didn't want a hug from Rowdy. Rowdy did give him signed baseballs, signed bats. Said she's always with you. It was a very very special moment, and just shows the type of person that Rowdy Telez is, and it makes you want to root so fucking hard for those guys. Amid what we said about Burns and Lauer and everything else, those guys, that stuff for Rowdy, you want to fight for that. You want to make the postseason. You want those guys to get rewarded. Christian Yelich, I feel the same way. Willie Adamas, I think there are some times where Willie, you know, is not necessarily as focused as he needs to be, but he's a good fucking dude, okay? I don't think you can put a price against that. Keston Hura, same thing, right? I think that's why we all want Keston to succeed. Because he's a great guy. Jace Peterson, by all accounts, good hang. Hunter Renfro, Kutchin. Like, I don't think the problems are coming from the guys who are hitting the baseballs. I think it's the pitchers. And I don't know what they need to do to kind of bring it together for a couple more weeks. We'll see what the how they respond against Jordan Montgomery on Tuesday night. The Brewers have struggled against lefties. It's gonna be a bullpen game. Just kind of hold on for dear life with those type of bullpen games, right? Like, it there's an opener. It's gonna it's gonna start with Matt Bush, and we'll see where it goes from there. Um, because it's a little bit it'll be right. So hopefully we are coming to you tomorrow with a Brewers victory. Uh, we'll talk about that. Like I said, we'll talk about storylines for Packers Bears. I'm sure if anything else hits the wire, we'll discuss that too. Uh, have yourself a great Tuesday, and we'll be back tomorrow. See you. Bye.